a lot of the things that we call awkward are things that feel uncertain or make us feel self-conscious. And people don't like unpredictability. We don't like uncertainty. Almost every single question can be boiled down to the same advice, which is you have to have the awkward conversation. You have to talk to them. You either have to have the awkward conversation or you have to live with the thing that's bothering you. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Welcome to the Happen to Your Career podcast. I'm Scott Anthony Barlow. This is the show where we share stories of how high achievers find career happiness and meaning. This week, we're in beautiful Austin, Texas, recording live from the Express Bungalow at South by Southwest. Our guest today is a senior editor for New York Magazine's The Cut, where in 2014, she came on board and co-founded NYMag.com's uber-popular social science site called The Science of Us. You've probably heard of it. Her work has appeared in Elle, Parents, and Today.com, and her new book, and her first book, is Cringeworthy, A Theory of Awkwardness. So what I do is I'm a senior editor at The Cut, where I cover health and psychology, and I also run a site called Science of Us, which is all about social science, behavior, kind of why we do the things we do. And it's such a fun job. It's just like chasing my curiosity around all day. It's so much fun. So that's where this book came out of. Going to sleep, waking up and just going through a brutal job and weekends being crazy short and Sunday being like, oh, I got to go work again on Monday. Eric was a burnt-out engineer who wanted to move several states away to be able to find a career in a company that he absolutely loved. It seemed like getting a really awesome job was really hard to do. Listen for Eric's story later on in the episode to learn how he used coaching to be able to make a change to a job that he loved. I got the confidence to believe that making a transition like this could happen, which is huge. I am super excited to welcome to the show... Melissa Dahl. Thank you. Yeah. Go science. (laughs) All right. You didn't always have the book. You haven't always been the editor. So where on earth did all this start for you? With the awkwardness. Where did the awkwardness start, Melissa? (laughs) Well, I think if I could like armchair psychology myself. My family moved around a lot when I was a kid. We moved like every year, every year and a half. So every young person is hyper attuned to social norms and, you know, what makes something cool in one place and what makes something not cool in your school. You know, we're all paying desperate attention to that. But my kind of theory about why I got so interested in awkwardness is I had to relearn that over and over and over again, the social norms, the social cues, and, you know, made some mistakes because I was following like the last schools, like following a trend that was really cool in Southern Louisiana that wasn't cool in Northern California. Or when I left Northern California, I still said hella a lot and nobody says hella outside of Northern California. Wait a minute, nobody says hella anymore? <laughs> you know, I hella want to bring it back. Lady Bird brought it back. I'm bringing it back. So I think that I became really attuned to moments that deviate from the norm, moments that make you stand out, moments that make you feel awkward. So I think that's where my obsession kind of came from. But yeah, maybe I also became 
a little too good at causing those moments too. So <laughs> a little too good. Well, that's what we get to talk about as it turns out. I am really interested and we're going to talk about the book. We're going to dive into a whole bunch of awkwardness to put it mildly. I'm curious where and how did you end up in this world of editing and first time author? Yeah, it's a really niche field mine. I'm a health journalist, so I specifically cover psychology, which is really there aren't a lot of us. I think we all kind of know each other. And I guess how I got started was I wanted to do journalism. I am old enough where I graduated college and newspapers still kind of seemed like an option. And I've always been interested in why people do the things they do. So I started in just kind of general reporter, general assignment. And then I moved on to the health writing when I went to msnbc.com and I was on the health section for many years. But specifically, I found that I was always really drawn to behavior and health is mostly about like why your body reacts a certain way, why your body gets sick or whatever. But I was more interested in questions like, why, why do you cringe at the sound of your own voice on recording? Um, why do you cringe at your sound of your own voice on the record? It's actually a fascinating answer. So I did a piece on this for Science of Us that kind of ended up sort of inspiring the book. It's such a common thing to say that, right? Like your own voice makes you cringe. I've even talked to people in promoting this book. I've talked to people who do radio shows or podcasts who are like, I can't listen to my own voice, which I think is so funny. So there's an interesting physiological answer. Typically when I'm not talking into a mic, I hear my own voice through the air and through the bones of my own skull. And bone conduction transmits sound at a lower frequency than air conduction. So that's why like, it's really common for people to say, oh, my voice sounds so much higher than I thought it was. I sound like a teenager. I sound like a chipmunk. So that explains why it sounds different, but that doesn't really answer why it makes us cringe. And so that kind of gets us to my like cringe theory, which is I think that the moments that make us cringe are when the kind of self you think you're presenting to the world kind of clashes with the self people are actually seeing. And when those two things don't match, I think those are the moments when we say, Oh, that makes me cringe. So yeah, that's So what are some examples of those moments? We've probably got some awkward people out here. (laughs) So let's see. It's like things when you're in a meeting or something and you make a joke and the intention is to ingratiate yourself with your coworkers or whatever, but it just goes over really badly and maybe it offends them or something. I just made a joke like this, actually. I work for a women's website and I kind of made some joke about how nobody likes sports or something. And they kind of took that the wrong way, you know? Like, I didn't mean like, That's a shocker. Yeah, well, the me they saw was not the me I was trying to present. I'm trying to present this, like, cool with you person. And they just saw this person who was observing something about them that wasn't true. Anyway, so yeah, when you tell a bad joke in a meeting or something. I think another thing people call awkward is, you know, talk about careers, like maybe asking your boss for a raise or a promotion. And that kind of gets this to a really stark, like numbers situation. Like you're saying, I see myself this way. I see myself worth this much. I see myself as this title. And your boss could say, no, I actually see you this much. I see you still as a junior staff. So there's that kind of distinction between how you see yourself and how they see you. so. So here's what I found fascinating, though. As I read through your book, you put some of the numbers behind how many people were willing to have that very awkward conversation sometimes, difficult conversation to figure out what it would take for a promotion or ask for a raise or anything else that falls into that category. It's not an easy conversation, right? And a lot of the times it really does feel awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, how can people look at that differently? So 
I think that a lot of the things that we call awkward are things that feel uncertain or make us feel self-conscious. And people don't like unpredictability. We don't like uncertainty. That's been shown in decades worth of scientific research dating back to the 1960s. But you can learn to withstand it. There's this cool research that says it's this new way of thinking about emotions. And it says that the way you conceptualize a feeling actually changes the way you feel it. And so I started to think about that with these situations we call awkward. Maybe one way to look at it is it's kind of an opportunity. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes maybe it's because you're feeling uncertain of how it'll go and you don't want to take that risk. Maybe you can start to think of it as that's an opportunity. That's not something to to avoid. Or if these are moments that are showing you the gap between who you think you are and how other people see you, maybe it can be an opportunity to become that person you think you are or you would like to be. Well, let me ask you about that. One of the concepts that you talked about a lot in the book, and you called it a couple of different things, but talking about your growth edge, yeah. for example. And I love that concept yeah, because it's very much reframing yeah. the awkwardness or the cringing of the conversations that we all have every yeah. day and see every experience every yeah. day. So tell us a little bit about what the growth edge is, first of all. Okay. So while I was studying awkwardness for the last couple of years and the word cringeworthy, I started to kind of track how we use it. And typically we use it in situations when you hear the word awkward or cringeworthy, you think about things like, oh, I spilled coffee on myself or, oh, I made a dumb joke in a meeting or something like that. But that's not always the way we use it. We also, it's become like this catch-all term awkward for any thing that makes us vaguely uncomfortable, whether it's like trivial or super serious. I mean, while I was writing this book, I saw a headline on the New York Times homepage that said why we're awkward. And I click on that. And the answer turned out to be, it was a video about racial bias, which I was not expecting. So I think if it's true that these moments show you the distance between who you think you are and how other people are seeing you, the idea of the growing edge is thinking of these moments as a time to self-reflect and think about, you know, we tell kids like it doesn't matter what other people think of you. And that's true to an extent, but it can also be really... But in reality. It's true to an extent. It is. You shouldn't like just always judge yourself by how other people understand you. But there are times when it's valuable to take in how other people see you. I had lunch with my cousin earlier today and I had a big taco and I got a bunch of like kale or something in my teeth. And she was like, oh, hey, you better address that before you go to your panel thing. (laughs) And I couldn't see it. Fortunately, you got it, right? Yes, I I think I did. But I couldn't see it. And to me, that's like kind of an example of what I mean by this, that that does make me feel uncomfortable and kind of awkward to be like, oh, I'm such an idiot. I have this stuff in my teeth, but I wouldn't have known about it if someone didn't point it out. And I'm so glad somebody pointed it out. So some of these moments can be moments you can use to improve. Grinding me to a pulp. That's Eric Murphy. We asked him what life was like before he made the change to his new career. Sounds exaggerated, but that's how it felt sometimes. Okay, it was pretty obvious that Eric wanted to make a change, right? But he didn't have a lot of time, and his job took a lot of energy out of him. Weekends being crazy short, and Sunday being like, oh, I gotta go work again on Monday. (laughs) And that's exactly why Eric hired our team to help him make this change much, much easier. I think one of the biggest benefits of 
having career coaching is when you're dealing with offers, et cetera, when you're in the thick of job searches, it's good to be able to email or text or call you to say, hey, like this situation popped up, how would you handle it? That's also extremely useful. And a lot of your techniques, for example, writing handwritten Nike notes to everyone that you have conversations with, I wouldn't have thought of that. It made a massive impression. When Guy made me the offer, he had the handwritten thank you note in his hand. And it was like, this is very great. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was really cool. Congratulations to Eric on making the change to a career that he absolutely loves. If you want to make the change to a career that fits you and pays you more, find out how coaching can help you step by step. Go over to happentoyourcareer.com and click on coaching to be able to apply. Or you can text my coach, that's M-Y coach, to 44222. That's my coach to 44222. Pause right now and we'll send over your application. See you there. You know, one of the things that I found really interesting too is you talked about how it's really one thing to believe in the power of awkward conversations, but it's an entirely different thing to initiate them. And first of all, a little bit of backstory for those who haven't read the book yet. Those people who are willing to have awkward conversations, it seems like build up a tolerance and those people can potentially have more success in some ways when you're, I don't know if the right word is less afraid, more willing to be. have yeah. those conversations. There's this woman I interviewed for the book. Her name's Allison Green, and she runs the website Ask a Manager. And she is basically an advice columnist for awkward workplace issues. Kind of become a friend, actually, through interviewing her multiple times for the book. And so much of her advice, you know, people will ask her just all kinds of outlandish things. Like somebody emailed her and asked her, one of my coworkers keeps putting spells on other coworkers. She thinks she's a witch and keeps putting spells on other people. That a nickel for every time that yeah. one. So there's outlandish ones, but there's also like these kind of quieter moments of awkwardness too, where a friend at work keeps asking me to go to lunch and I don't like them in that way. I don't want to become actual friends with them. I want to be a lunch buddy. Yeah. Or I got promoted and my boss didn't tell anybody. How do I... Oh, yeah, <laughs> that is kind of the ultimate epitome of awkwardness in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Talk about awkward conversations. I realized I'm a big fan of her site and she's answered thousands of questions over the years. And almost every single question can be boiled down to the same advice, which is you have to have the awkward conversation. You have to talk to them. You either have to have the awkward conversation or you have to live with the thing that's bothering you is what she told me. And she told me actually, sometimes she checks back on people and a lot of times they don't take her advice. They just left the job. So it's something that it's hard to do. So. Okay. So let me ask you about that then. We know that it's worthwhile to have awkward conversations. It's difficult to have awkward conversations. So what can people listening actually do in order to get better at having those crazy awkward conversations? Yeah, so there isn't a ton of research. I mean, I'm a science journalist, so I kind of like to have this stuff backed by a ton of good evidence. There isn't a ton of research on this, but there is some. And what little there is has suggested that there are two things that help. One is perspective taking, which is kind of a fancy word for empathy, you know, kind of just putting yourself in the other person's shoes and trying to imagine like how they might yeah. be feeling and just remembering it's not all about you. If, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> if it's in the context of work or something, you know, and maybe you're having an awkward conversation because you want to raise or something, think about it from your boss's point of view. Don't think about it from your point of view. So don't frame it as it's because, you know, cost of living in New York or wherever you live has gotten insane. Frame it as like, well, this is what I bring to the company. This is why this makes sense for you to give this to me. So perspective taking is one. 
And the other one is called active processing, which is another kind of fancy term for the kind of like cooler, rational side of a conversation. So I've seen people online and stuff kind of promote so-called awkward conversations, meaning like you got to get up into somebody's face and you've just got to make it awkward and tell them they're wrong or whatever. But that's actually not going to be that effective where you can actually change someone's mind or have a useful conversation is to stick with that like cooler side. And there are ways to do that too. As I think about the types of awkward conversations that we probably should have, but we don't want to have, there's a whole range of them at work, right? Like you talked about earlier where you said, your boss promoted you, but then tell anybody. That's a real story that happened to me. (laughs) Oh, seriously? Yeah. (laughs) I totally did not see that. I don't think I put that in the book. And how how did that go? It was ridiculous. Yeah. I got it like a secret promotion. I got promoted and then they didn't tell anybody for like nine months. And this is before I went through my like awkward project or whatever. And I just was too scared to have that conversation and ask about it, but it created more awkwardness for me because I kept having to like invite myself to meetings or people would ask me like, oh, don't you have to check this with so-and-so? And I, no, I don't. I'm, you know, <laughs> I am so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah. So work is a weird place, man. <laughs> Did you end up having the conversation? Yes. Nine um, months later? Yes. It took, I mean, I sent a couple emails and it finally happened, but yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I found it really interesting about the concept of building up a tolerance yeah. to awkward conversations. Yeah. And I feel like if you take Comedians, as an example, comedians, they have a great tolerance to awkwardness, but non-comedians, normal everyday people don't necessarily have that tolerance where they're having those really awkward moments all the time and practicing it in some way. Yeah. So I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah. And second of all, what can you do to practice so that you can build up that tolerance? So there's this guy in uh, this clinical psychologist in Boston that I interviewed for the book, and he works with social anxiety patients, which are people who kind of experience awkwardness to like an extreme degree to where it really holds them back from doing things they want to do. And he uses in their treatment a version of exposure therapy, kind of like the idea if you're scared of spiders, the idea is you just have to keep exposing yourself to a spider and soon you won't be afraid of it, which I don't know if that would work on me because I hate spiders, but he thinks the same is true for social phobia. So he basically has them brainstorm, like what would be the most embarrassing thing you could think of to do? He's like, okay, now go do it. Have you done this exercise? (laughs) So a version of it. Yeah. So the things he's had people do are just ridiculous. Like he'll have them go into a bookstore and say to a clerk, like, excuse me, do you have any books about farting? Or he'll have them go to a drugstore and ask the pharmacist, excuse me, is this the smallest size of condoms you have? Just like on purpose, just make themselves look ridiculous and not hurt anybody else, but just look ridiculous, face their social fears of looking very silly. And the point is to show them it's not that bad. Nothing's going to happen to you. And to build up a tolerance. Because if you get used to this feeling in these situations that are kind of low stakes and kind of silly, the idea is you'll be able to handle it in your real life. After you've asked for the smallest size condom, then the rest of it is just no big deal. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is sort of a tangent, but there's a theory that that's how they think dreams work, that that's why we have nightmares to kind of like nighttime exposure therapy. Yeah, that it's like something that you're afraid of in real life and that maybe the point is you face it in your dreams and then you get better at it facing it in real life. So, yeah. (laughs) I've certainly seen a lot of this too. I mean, I remember a time with my first business. It was a painting business. This is a really long time ago. And I remember having this person who was having a terrible experience with my crews and I showed up to their house 
And the guy had apparently just lost his front teeth in a biking accident. So he's still wearing his biking shorts and oh he's God. yelling at me with no teeth, just yeah, as much as it possibly can. And I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And after you go through, through something like that, like other things maybe aren't as big deal after you have a guy in bike shorts yell at you with no teeth. Yeah. I have not had that situation happen. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> had that one? No. But yeah, this guy's name is Stefan Hoffman. He's published like peer-reviewed papers on this and he claims a 80% success rate. So the idea is just kind of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. If you're kind of sensitive to this feeling, which I am, it's always kind of driven me insane. But the idea is starting small and then you can work your way up. So, yeah. Okay. So let me ask you one more question here. And if you're kind of in the place where you were, you know, before you started, I mean, we just had this conversation before we walked on and everything like that. Like you used to be afraid of public speaking. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And now you're sitting up here and speaking publicly. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you advise those people who do have this very intense fear of moving forward with those types of normally awkward conversations? What would you advise them to do? Yeah. There are so many things that I have just ripped off from my own book that I just apply to my own life, which I guess is good. So there's all this research in psychology linking nervousness to self-consciousness. And a big part of feeling awkward, I think, is feeling self-conscious. And there's all this research showing that the two things are linked and self-consciousness triggers nervousness. Nervousness triggers self-consciousness and they kind of just exacerbate each other round and round. Yeah. I called it the awkwardness vortex in my book. And it's the kind of thing where like you're going into a job interview or something and all of a sudden you're like, wait, I forget how chairs work. You know, what am I supposed to do with my hands? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just did this at my boss's office the other day. She has this big like couch thing and I sat down and I kind of put the pillow like this. And then I was like, wait, is that weird? Is this weird? Is this a weird thing to do? And just couldn't fixate, (laughs) focus on anything, but I'm holding this pillow. Is that weird? So those two things kind of, you get locked in that cycle. Psychologists who study this say is if it's partially caused by self-consciousness, the way out is to focus on anything but yourself. So if you're lucky enough to be public speaking with somebody else, focus on the person in front of you. Just ask them a question. That's good too. Yeah. Just anything but yourself. Or you could focus on if it's the job interview scenario. So you kind of prepare beforehand and maybe think about three things you're going to you know, say about the job or whatever. You just zoom out is a big thing that helps. Just zoom out and focus on the big picture and just don't focus on yourself because that is just the best way to be like, wait, what do I do with my hands again? You know, like, <laughs> so that's something that helps. As soon as you do that, then you're in the awkwardness vortex. Yeah. Well, you can break out of it though, but yeah, just do not zero in on like what your weird hands are doing. I'm kind of a little concerned with what my feet are doing right now, but I'm not going to focus on them, but yeah. (laughs) And then the other thing is kind of in tandem to that. So I don't like speaking in front of other people. I don't like promoting myself, but I've started to kind of try to think of this book as like a third party thing separate from myself, you know, right here, forcing you to, well, it's like this, it's this message. So it's not me I'm trying to promote. It's that I found some things that I think will really help people. So I'm just the conduit for that, you know? And so when I do speak and when I do events and I do interviews and stuff, I just try to focus on, you know, getting the message across as clearly as I can. So hopefully if you are someone who is plagued by self-consciousness and you feel that way at work sometimes, hopefully you like your work and you can kind of just zoom out and think about, okay, but what am I trying to get across here? And that helps me. I can absolutely appreciate that. And I would say that having read the book, if you're in the situation where you're finding it more frequently, very, very awkward, or if you're in the situation where you're finding it to be 
a challenge for you to have these types of conversations that you know that you should have and you're not having them or you're not doing the things that you need to do, this book absolutely will help. So one, I appreciate you writing an amazing book. Yeah. Two, I appreciate you flying to Austin, Texas to be able to have this conversation in the first place. Yeah. And huge thank you to Express as well for being (laughs) able to put this on. And I've had so much fun getting to meet you and being able to learn how to be less awkward. Yeah. I actually don't think it's about being less awkward. I think it's more about just being comfortable with it. Just being comfortable when things are awkward. I just had an awkward thing putting on my mic. I had to like... It was awkward. Yeah. They wanted me to put it on under my dress. It was very uncomfortable. But just being more comfortable when those moments come around and just realizing that they're going to come around. Next week, we are back in our home state of Washington, but not for long because... We're heading to England, Scotland, and Ireland. And by the way, if you're over there and you listen to the show, we'd love to meet you in person. Drop us an email at scott@happentoyourcrew.com, and we'll get you all the details for a couple of meetups that we're putting together locally right there so that we can connect IRL. Next week, we get to talk about why willpower isn't enough with Benjamin Hardy. I had to help him more than I wanted to get through a couple sentences, but eventually he started to kind of just get a little confidence. You know, there's a lot of research that says it's not confidence that creates success, but it's success that creates confidence, you know? So it's like little wins move you forward. Ben's the father of three newly adopted foster children. He's also the author of a new book on psychology, who his research is focused on the difference between successful people and wannabes. Tune in for that right here on Happen to Your Career. Next week, we'll see you then. And until then, head on over to happentoyourcareer.com where you can get all of the podcasts, subscribe for new resources every single week to find career happiness and meeting, and you can even get started with our mini course on eight days to a career that fits you. It's perfect for you if you want to learn how to craft a career path that fits your signature strengths and ideal lifestyle. It's put together in a video series just to get you started. All you have to do for that one is head over to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. Or you can text HAPPEN, H-A-P-P-E-N, to 44222. All right, we'll see you next week. Until then, I am out. Adios. 